What's the role of emotions in the practice of teaching and research? About this and many other important topics is this conversation with Carolina Escudero in this new episode of El Café Latinx. What is the experience of being a Latinx or Latin American scholar in the field of communication and media studies? What are the main challenges and opportunities that come with our identities? These are the issues that we'll talk about in El Café Latinx, where some of the leading voices in the field will share their professional experiences. Hola, my name is Pablo Wojcowski. I teach at Northwestern University, where I hold the Hamid bin Khalif Al Thani Chair in Communication. Together with Mora Matassi, doctoral student at Northwestern and executive producer of this podcast, we invite you to discover the journeys of scholars who are at the cutting edge of creating knowledge about Latinx or Latin American communities across the Americas. These are our stories. Esas son nuestras historias. Estas son nuestras historias. Welcome to this new episode of El Café Latinx. I am delighted to have with us today Dr. Carolina Escudero, who's a lecturer in the School of Journalism at the University of Missouri in their Barcelona, Spain campus. Carolina got her PhD in social psychology from the JF Kennedy, Kennedy University in Buenos Aires, Argentina. Before that, she got a master's degree at the University of Barcelona and a degree in journalism from uh, the university uh, in Strasbourg, from the Robert Schumann University in Strasbourg, France. Um, Carolina is an expert on uh, issues of media psychology, journalism and gender, and has published very widely um, in these areas. Carolina, welcome to this new episode of El Café Latinx. Hello, thank you so much, Pablo, for this great opportunity and hello to all of your audience. Thank you so much for, for agreeing to, to speak to us. So Carolina, how did your journey begin? That is, how was the start of the process that led you to become an academic? Well, you know, it's, it was, um, a surprising process if I have to look for a way to introduce that. Um, I, after my degree in journalism in France, I decided to, to work as a correspondent and to stop my studies. And I was like, I'm not going to go back to the university for a while. I, I want to experience life and uh, I don't want to idealize things. So I was like living in different, each two years I was changing the country and, and the point was like, I, I was looking for countries where they didn't speak any Spanish. I wanted to feel challenged by languages and culture. And um, so after an experience in Europe um, as a correspondent, I decided to, to study my master's degree in, in the gender differences in Barcelona. And it was in Spanish and in Italian and um, at the University of Barcelona. And then after that, I also took a, a couple of years uh, before I went back to the university and, and, make, and study my, my PhD. 
my point was like to be connected with with people and and to combine theory but also um, to experience challenges and to observe different type of life etc you know I, I I was like I wanted to be in balance with the theory the knowledge and also with the experience of of working and seeing people and feeling challenged by by situations, uh, countries, um, and so. And then I decided after my PhD, I, I was becoming closer to the academia with um, by doing research. Um, but it was like a step by step process. Very interesting. So. So you did your degree in journalism in France. You worked for around 10 years, give or take, right? Before you went for your master's degree. And yes. then you worked for a while and then you went back to PC. But you did each one of these degrees in a different country, right? So journalism, okay, in France, gender differences in Spain, social psychology in Argentina. Um, can you reflect a little bit uh, about your experiences in different national academic cultures as a student, right? Um, what were some shared sort of patterns, but also what were some differences in terms of studying in these different countries? Absolutely. Um, in France, I, I wasn't in Paris. I was in Strasbourg, very close to, to Germany. So it was a very, I had a cultural impact because the weather, the food, uh, the accent, and so the diversity was huge there. So that makes sense that today I am working abroad with the students that they're experiencing this uh, cultural shock. I love being here for them. Uh, I, I love when someone is making this type of steps, you know, like, uh, I will expand my comfort zone. And, and I like now to be on the other side, to receive them here in the academia. Um, so in France, I, it was a cultural shock because of many different reasons. And, and the weather, uh, many, every single day we had the rainy days there in Strasbourg. So that was very challenging. And I was looking for community there. And so I, I was making many different friends outside university uh, that they were coming from different countries as well because I was feeling like I was speaking a lot in French and not in other languages. So uh, I was looking for, you know, to expand also my community when I was a student in France. And, um, and that was a great experience uh, at the end. At the beginning, very challenging. And I'm, I'm glad that I didn't move back to Buenos Aires. It was easy to go back. And I was like, no, I, I can do it. I, I need to, to adapt myself, to give myself time. And that was a good idea. Um, then when I studied in, in Barcelona, um, the culture was closer, Mediterranean culture as well. And, and it was the Catalan language around me, you know? Um, but also I, I want to point out that after my studies in France, I, I moved to Brussels uh, to have a, um, 
I won a scholarship. So I was there for two years. And, and Brussels was amazing because I wanted to work for the European Union institutions. And, and I wanted to experience that. But when I was in Brussels, attending you know, the press conferences at the European Commission, the European Parliament, and with all the badges you have, I was like, it was a routine and it was very boring for me. It was like, okay, now I know how it works and it's not for me. So it was amazing to have this opportunity after my studies in France, to go to Brussels and work on these institutions that I was like, oh, the European Union. Because for me, it was like, okay, I can check that and I can say, thanks for the experience, but I'm not a person to, to live here in, in Brussels or to follow the European Union institutions news. Um, and then when I decided to go to, to do my master degree in, in Barcelona, it was closer to the idea, you know, um, a culture, the Mediterranean culture, uh, great weather. And still, I was still keeping this idea of adding um, new uh, languages like Catalan, Italian on my readings, and meeting people that they were producing uh, research from other countries as well. So the experience was quite well. And then for my PhD, um, it was a period that I was uh, living in Buenos Aires. So it was a part of my coming back and not knowing where I come from, you know? Um, <laughs> and even people, they were asking me, you have a, a weird accent, you know, uh, where are you come? And I was like, I'm from here, but I don't know for how long time I will stay here. Um, so, and it was amazing to, to have this opportunity to, to study at home. I started my PhD um, in 2014 and then I moved to Spain. So when I finished, I was already um, here. Um, but in all the cases, um, what I, I can remember is more than the readings and amazing classes is the connection with people. I, I'm a person that I need to, to connect with real stories. Uh, through my professors or my mates in, in classes, you know? Mm -hmm. Fascinating. So, so you say, you know, you, you work at the University of Missouri, but you are actually not in the States. You are in Spain, in their Barcelona campus. Study abroad is very popular in the U.S. and it's also popular in other parts of the world, perhaps not as popular as in the U.S., but still, what are some of the challenges um, and particularities of working as a study abroad professor, right? Um, somebody who works with students for a semester or two and then they go and they are there on a temporary basis, right? Much more so than the regular undergraduate experience. Well, it's very different uh, because, um, first of all, each student like everywhere is bringing their own expectations. Um, some of them, they have expectations about improving the language and become, you know, um, fluent in, in two months. 
other students, they, their expectations are related to have a great internship and uh, others is traveling all the time. So I really like to, to work with them. I, I love group dynamics, uh, as you can imagine. So I ask them when they arrive to write uh, about, um, to write a letter to themselves about uh, what, is, what is your expectations now? What, what do you feel? What would you like to do? Tell yourself about that. And they write. And, and I keep these letters. And at the end of the program, and I tell them, you know, right now you're thinking about that and, and you have an idea about Europe or, or Barcelona that it will probably change. So I keep the letters. I close the envelope and the last day they open that and they read and, and they see the changes. And, but most importantly, the symbolic part of this letter is to recognize how much we can change. And the type of ideas, expectations, or even the type of stereotypes that when we arrive to a new place, uh, we need some stereotypes to survive or to, and, and how things are changing by the end, you know, because of the experience, their life experiences, etc. So it's true that they're staying here for a, a short period. And, uh, and, I, and I like to be their professor, but also to open the classes to talk about how do they feel? You have to take into consideration that it's a short period, but it can be very intense. Some of them is the first time they're very far away. Uh, it's the first time outside US. It's the first time in a very different culture. Um, and they miss family or food, the type of food or the type of hours they have there. Like why we have dinner so late? And it's like, you can survive. <laughs> Why do we have to use public transportation? Welcome to Europe, you know? Um, so I love to be the person who is there for them to talk about those things because I was abroad and, uh, and I, it doesn't mean that we're experiencing the same challenges, but what I feel is like, I can be comprehensive and we can and we can talk about many different topics like you can become more sensitive or you know or even you can reject the language like at the third day you will feel like everything is in Spanish and in Catalan I need to go back to states and so I ask them to naturalize this reject and to embrace this like it will happen. So be ready for that and let's have fun. And, you know. How long have you been doing this? How long have you had this position? Um, I started with a, the program in Buenos Aires. The first program I, I opened it for the, the School of Journalism, it was in 2008. And that was in Buenos Aires. Yes, the experience was in Buenos Aires. 
And um, and when I was doing that, I was like, but you know, I'm moving. So I'm not going to stay in Buenos Aires. Uh, I will make that experience, but, and they were very comprehensive about that. And so the experience went very well. And, um, and then they, uh, they proposed me if I wanted to, to recreate this experience in another place. And I was like, yes, in, in Barcelona, and it will be nice to show to our students, not only the, the Mediterranean culture, but that even if you're improving your Spanish, you will hear Catalan and you will be close to France. You know, this, and, and they consider that like a really good point. And this is what we have now. Um, the Barcelona program. Fascinating. So, so you've been doing this for almost 15 years, right? In two different countries. And it's a kind of teaching that is very common from the student standpoint, but you know, we don't normally hear um, a lot about it from the teaching standpoint. Um, so, so have you noticed any changes in terms of expectations of the students, the expectations and demands of, you know, the universities, etc. in these 15 years that you've been doing this? Well, yes, um, the pandemic, you know, have changed um, many different aspects. Um, I am, I am very, uh, sensitive about one aspect during classes, which is showing empathy and respect when someone is talking. And I have seen that after the pandemic in I, some groups, they even if someone is talking, uh, another student or a guest or myself, they're making this side talking. And I am like, wait for your, someone is talking. Uh, let's be empathetic, let's be there. And um, um, before that, I had some situations like that, but now it's like normalized, like disconnect. You know, it's like, okay, I am attending classes through Zoom, so I can make a pause, go for coffee, talk with my friends uh, through, and I will be back. And it's like this disconnection. Um, so I'm, I'm working on that. And so I decided, that during the classes, I, I make sure that we are present, like this idea of mindfulness, you know, in classes. We are here and we are connecting with the topic, with the needs of the rest of the class and, and the active listening as well. Uh, this is one of the things, uh, another aspect right now, um, some students, they pointed out something quite interested uh, regarding the war, because before I start the class, I asked, how do we feel? Uh, someone wants to talk about how do you feel? Um, and, you know, it's like they're talking or we're analyzing the, the latest news uh, from US or from Spain or combine it. So the war uh, was one of the topics lately. And one of the students said, my mother called me and she was like stressing out about the war because she's feeling that I'm very close to the conflict by being here in Spain. And my student said, and she said, and I don't feel that. I feel 
very comfortable and safe here more than being in the States. Um, and I was like, that's amazing. If you can explain that to your mom, she will feel very relieved. Like, and she was like, yes, I feel. So I really like you, you know, to see that this type of unpredictable reactions. Very interesting. And, and in terms of, because all these years you've been part of the University of Missouri, two different campuses in two different continents, right? But um, do you think that from the vantage point of universities in the US, their expectations, their interests, etc., towards study abroad have changed? I can talk about Missouri because it's the one okay. I know. Um, well, what I really like it from this university, from the really beginning, it was like we were sharing the same spirit, like inviting, promoting the idea, like expand your comfort zone. And if you apply to a program where you are not going to use English, you will have more possibilities to have scholarships. And, and when I knew that, and, and, I, and I have seen the, the different professors with experiences with the students abroad in Mongolia, or I was like, I, yes, I want to join this, uh, this campus because this is what I feel, you know? Um, in the past, when I was a, a journalism student, I, I was thinking that covering war, it was something interesting and, and challenging. And, but then when I went to the ex-Yugoslavia and I met um, a, a, an Argentinian correspondent, Carolina Podesta, I met her there in Belgrade. And she told me her everyday, uh, her, her days covering the war. And I was like, no, I, I don't want that. But Thanks, because I had the opportunity to see that and to do not idealize. So I feel very lucky with this idea of if you have a dream or a project, um, don't wait for the perfect situation to make it happen. Go for that, try, test, make mistakes, uh, because you, you will have time to, to look for a solution to correct, but we need to experience things and take care of ourselves, of course. But the idea of the staying in a passive way, like waiting for the great moment, the great opportunity, is not the way, you know? So expanding our comfort zone is starting to talk in a language that you do not feel so prepared. Embrace your mistakes by doing and things and you will survive to it. The idea of the mistakes, I think is something that we have to talk to students about making mistakes, you know, uh, how we can survive when you're speaking in Spanish and you don't know the word and you make a mistake and someone will correct you in public. That's fine. Be open for that. Very interesting. Now, the, the issue of language has come up several times already in, in your stories and in your reflections. Um, you are somebody who has 
sort of gone in and out of languages uh, multiple times in terms of your everyday experience. And you live in a part of Spain that has a dual linguistic um, reality, right? So you have Spanish and Catalan. Mm -hmm. um, how do you think different languages and exposure to different languages shape our experience, or at least yours? How, how has familiarity with, but also living in environments where different languages are the main languages spoken, how has that shaped how you view the world, your everyday life, your professional practice? I think that I like to, when I am with people that I know that, for instance, I, I will give you an example, that they are Catalans and, and it's their identity and they, their Spanish is perfect as well. Mm -hmm. But I ask them to do not, you know, to switch into Spanish because of me. I want them to be, to navigate their language because it's an invitation for me to, to go there and, and, and to follow them there. And it's the same thing when you're interviewing someone or when, when, you, when you're working as a journalist, um, it's about how do you decide to connect with the other person. And sometimes I wouldn't say it's just the language, but it's like your presence there, your body language, your empathetic body language there, yeah, you know? Um, so I think language is, is a very important bridge, but also how you behave with the language as well, you know, your body language. Does your body language vary by the language you are speaking or by the language of this, the environment in which you are living? Have you noticed that? Or is your body language constant across different spoken languages? In it's your true own experience. That, yeah, um, it's true that when I am with people from Argentina uh, or I Italians, uh, the body language is moving more. Uh, I feel invited for it. I see someone, so I will join the person, you know, uh, with the movements. Mm -hmm. um, and when I speak in, in French, um, at home we speak in French, so um, it's different. I know is is more on the pronunciation. You, I pay more attention to to the correct pronunciation. It's not the the body talking. Is the pronunciation? When you do research, what language do you think in? Um, English and Spanish. Hmm. Not French. No, French is, no, for me, in, in the French is for the radio <laughs> uh, in the morning. Um, right. So the weather is not working that well, but I, I love the news in, in, in French in the morning and, uh, and, to, and to connect uh, with my family, with my son, because um, uh, we speak in, in, in French at home and then the everyday life outside home is yeah you know in catalan spanish and some english because barcelona is very international as well mm -hmm. and when you are in the classroom you teach in spanish at the university of missouri 
it's a Spanglish. <laughs> <laughs> because uh, because uh, students, they, they all know Spanish, but they have different levels. So I'm, I'm interviewing them at the really beginning. And then according to their level is the type of readings about the same topic. I will share different type of readings in English or in Spanish or in Spanish that it's not that complex. You know, I combine the readings. Okay. So, and then switching from your teaching and your sort of program management to your research. Um, when you're thinking about research and when you're thinking about the topics that you study, how do you choose them? How do you choose your research topics? What amazing question. I'm, yeah, I'm more like, I'm coming from, I will check my feeling first. It's not my thinking. It's about how do I feel? It's not what I think. It's how do I feel with that? And then I develop. But first of all, it's a feeling. And then I consider the possibilities. Okay. And do you search or look for particular feelings or different projects have made you feel different emotions that then have sort of become the driving force to go there? Of course, it's, um, then it's like I can observe an emotion and, uh, and I take my time to analyze that. It's, it's in response to a need is my need? Is ego there playing a part? Um, you know, I, I like to, to see that in order to respect myself and respect the others. Um, so when I when I see or when I read about a topic and I feel I feel a connection, I analyze this connection. It's because I see a need. It's my need, what I can do. What I'm very, for me, it's very clear that I can't do the type of research that I do not see a community that I can impact or assist in a certain way with the production of this research. My motivation is if I have to read and do a specific research, I can provide something, some elements, some assistance, some tools to specific population. Okay, and does that mean also that, does that shape how you do the research also? Not only the end point, but does the process change or, or not change, but I mean, it's shaped by being sort of oriented towards giving back? Not always. Sometimes it's about, I know that this group is doing that and maybe a research can provide them some tools. And maybe not, but 
I sometimes I think I try, I am not sure about the result, but it, the process of trying is already a positive um, event, you know, mm -hmm. uh, because I am, I take this as a learning process, but also it's, it's providing to this community some readings or some experiences that they can serve them or they can inspire them just inspiration okay okay so hmm. now reflecting about your professional trajectory so you are born in argentina right so you are a latin american person who has been in living in europe on and off for quite a while um uh, in countries with more and less, you know, presence of people from Latin America, right? More in like Spain, less like in in Belgium, right? Um, and you also have worked for now 15 years um, with a university in the U.S. where uh, the presence of the Latino population has grown considerably in even in these 15 years. Right? I mean, not, not, not necessarily in that university, but in general in the country. What has your experience been about being a Latin American in Europe and a Latin American in Europe working for an American or you know, US-based university? How's your Latinidad in all of this? <laughs> um... My Latinidad, I don't know how I can describe my Latinidad in, in that context, um, but yeah, I drink mate in Spain <laughs> and, um, and I still make cakes with uh, dulce de leche that makes, you know, I, I keep things of my uh, Argentinian Latinidad. But it's true that um, when I say that I am my, I have students uh, from United States, uh, but I am Argentinian and, and at home it's true that it's more, my life is in French. People there are like, I am exotic in a certain way. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, but for me it's, in the way it is, you know, is a normal thing. Um, yeah. Okay. When you interact with your colleagues in the US, do you feel you are perceived as a Latina, as a Latin American, or as a European because you are in Spain? Well, when when I met first uh, my team, I I was in. I was coming back from Brussels, uh, so um, and they didn't have a program in Brussels yet. So I, I was like, "You should come. You should have a program uh, in Brussels, you know, for your students. It's not about Washington, about politics in Europe, you know." So for them, they were like, "But you're from Brussels, and no, but I'm from Argentina. But Brussels will be a great experience for for your students, and so." At the beginning, it was like uh, I was a mix of cultures, and um, 
And I like this idea too, because um, it's true that at the end, and going back to your other question about me, my Latinidad, um, do I feel Argentinian? Yes. Do I feel French? Yes, as well, you know, uh, there are things that uh, I, I will express. Um, for me, it's like in French more than in, in, in Spanish because it's specifically what I feel, you know, and I can't <laughs> translate sometimes. Uh, and the fact of the radio station is, yeah, it, it's, it's a part of, because I know how they're going to present the news and the international things and, and I like that. Um, and then I switch into the, the Catalan radio station, but but I like this this combination and being a kind of the result of uh, this international and global uh, world, you know, like reading in different languages or when I go and give a class to Catalan students or students from universities from here, I ask them, don't, Talk to me in Catalan. If that is your language or, or your paper is in Catalan, that's fine. It's, it's helpful for me. I, I, I appreciate that. Don't, uh, I like that. If, if you had to say, my home is your home country, where, where do you feel that your, your, your home would be? I I do not think that I have one home any longer. Um, when I go back to Buenos Aires, I try to go for Christmas because Christmas is during the summer. I still have that. <laughs> <laughs> I can't change that, you know. Um, it's home. Even if many things have changed and, but, some the smells and movements and yeah Buenos Aires is my home it's still my home and and when I go to to France France is also my home and when I go to Columbia Missouri you know to arrive to the campus is it's very very far away you know from here uh, this place this campus is my home in United States. I know where I will have my coffee. I know the Mexican restaurant that I, you know, and where I want to go for a reading. And I have my spaces and my people there. So people and spaces and experiences are making part of this home, this feeling comfortable, going back to a home. So um, unfortunately, or maybe, I don't know, I, I have more than one home. Not sure, perhaps that is part of the condition of Latinidad, right? Diaspora and being itinerant to yeah. no small degree is part of that. Um, so, you have been very active in the conference circuit. You're going to IMCR this year in Nigeria. Um, where do you see the place of Latin America, 
Latino, Latinidad, Latino USA, or Latinidad in general, in, in the global conversation in the field of communication and media studies today, where do you think it's at? Well, I think that it's covering many different topics and, and with different tones as well. I mean, you can talk about gender and racism, but also, you know, the studies about digital divide, digital inclusion in Latin American countries during the pandemic, how the countries they were advancing on that in order to provide education. So, um, what I'm seeing is like the presence of uh, um, Latinos scholars in many different areas and international uh, congresses is, is quite interesting because I, I can't say that most of the researchers coming from Latin America, let's say, they go into one direction. I see and I read diversity and I'm very proud of it. And also um, regarding new technologies or human rights. Um, it's interesting because anytime I, can, I am introducing a topic like the topic I introduced today about the stolen babies um, here, uh, I can see that in Latin American countries like Mexico and Argentina and they, we have done a lot of, in Uruguay, we have done a lot of progresses in historical memory, human rights, victims' rights, you know? And, and I'm surprised that in countries like Spain that is making part of the European Union and is, um, is still adept. So, you know, when I'm seeing research productions and I'm, I'm very proud about what I can see from the, the Latin American countries and as productions, uh, theories, uh, and processes of repair, you know? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So then, if you had magical powers and, and could be granted one wish about how you would like the field of communication and media studies to change, what would you wish for? I wish to learn more, to provide more learning about our emotions. Um, sometimes um, this specific research about the stolen babies put me on that spot about I have seen and I was experiencing um, situations with scholars or documentary directors that they were arriving to Spain to, to cover the topic and in the way they were asking the questions or they were not paying attention to, to, to the victims' feelings or to, they were like, that's my research. I want a scholarship and I need to make 25 interviews today, you know? And that's my goal. Um, 
So this lack of empathy or uh, taking the time to connect with the person, uh, the care of the self, of yourself as a professional and the other person as well, you know, I think we should learn more about that. How do we treat um, the population that we are studying? Um, if they're an object of a study or I see sometimes that people, they dehumanize them because it's, those are my questions, but maybe the person you have in front of you is not ready for that. Mm -hmm. So how you will deal with that? Because that person is not ready and she's not ready to tell you I am not ready. So can you read the situation what you can do about it. Or if you interview someone that is very traumatized and is to start crying and how you can solve that, in what way you will go back home, you know? So the emotional aspect should be an aspect that we should develop more um, in our studies in, the, in, in many different fields. Okay. Thank you very much, Carolina, for uh, your very thoughtful remarks and for sharing your experience with us. Uh, thank you to our audience for staying with us through the end. And I invite everybody to join us for the next episode of El Café Latinx. Thanks again, Carolina. Thank you very much. El Café Latinx is a production of the Center for Latinx Digital Media in the Department of Communication Studies at Northwestern University. I am Pablo Wojcikowski, your host, and I'm joined by executive producer Mora Matassi. <laughs>